Hey, folks. We're entering a new phase of pandemic response as some dozen states begin to reopen six weeks after the country came to a standstill. As protests and debate rage over stay-at-home orders and loosening other restrictions, we had some big news last week. Documents related to the FBI's investigation of former Trump National Security Advisor Michael Flynn were unsealed, raising new questions about the propriety and fairness of FBI practices. And the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals heard oral arguments in a case involving a subpoena for former White House counsel Don McGahn, who's been blocked from testifying before the House Judiciary Committee. Was Michael Flynn entrapped, as his defenders claim? And what are the implications of the McGahn litigation for the future of congressional oversight? I talk about all this and more with Ann Milgram on the Cafe Insider podcast. Each week, we break down politically charged legal issues, making the headlines. Today, we're sharing a clip from this week's episode. You can listen to our full conversation and access all other Cafe Insider content with a free two-week trial of the membership. Head to cafe.com slash insider to join. That's cafe.com slash insider. And college students with a valid EDU email can get a special rate at cafe.com slash student. How are you, Anne? Hey, Preet. Happy Cinco de Mayo. Happy Cinco de Mayo. And happy um, May the 4th be with you from yesterday. You know what? My son's school, it's a big deal there. Last year, our, <laughs> um, it's, a, it's a big deal. Last year, the annual school gala, this was before my son had even started kindergarten. And so all the parents went. And, you know, we thought it was like, uh, you know, you got to go. Maybe it's like going to be a little fancy. We walk in, everyone is in jeans and Star Wars t-shirts or in costumes. Wow. It's amazing. That's pretty wonderful. Before we get to the news, uh, can I make a public service announcement? Yeah, of course, always. So the other podcast that I do, on which you've been a guest many, many times, Stay Tuned with Preet, is up for an award, a Webby's People's Voice Award for Best Politics and News Podcast. We are currently, Anne, in second place. Whoa. Well, first Closing of all, congratulations. In on first place. Thank, thank you. I know thank that you. the nomination, you know, that you'd like to be in first place, I know. And I'm, just, I'm, I'm just happy voted. to be nominated. As they say yeah, in it's Hollywood, amazing. I'm just happy to be nominated. I feel that way, Preet. It's, a, it's an amazing accomplishment. Congratulations to you and the whole team at CAFE. So, so I do have a request of our listeners, and that is, when you have a moment, go to vote.webbyawards.com. You can find that voting page by just typing in Preet or Stay Tuned in the search bar. That's Preet, vote. will you send me um, one of those stickers that says, I voted? <laughs> Absolutely. Because <laughs> I already voted. I'm with you. <laughs> vote.webbyawards.com, and um, it's good practice for remote voting for the fall, <laughs> right? <laughs> Congratulations again. It's wonderful. Thank you. So two big things going on. Michael Flynn, former national security advisor to President Trump, briefly, is back in the news. Why is that? Yes, he's back. There have been a number of documents that have been released, and we'll talk a little bit about how they came out, but there are internal FBI documents that relate to this discussion that they had about how to approach Michael Flynn when they were first going to interview him. And so this has brought it back for his lawyer to basically say, oh, no, Michael Flynn was entrapped. The government is terrible. The FBI is terrible. And the president, of course, has said the same thing. We want the ability to withdraw our plea. We want the case dismissed. And so all of this has happened. Those documents were released last week. And so it's really brought the Flynn conversation back to the beginning of Flynn wants out of his plea deal. So this case has been pending for a very long time. The conduct in question for which he was charged goes back to the first week of the Trump administration. 
and an interview he gave to the FBI on January 24th of 2017. Now we're more than three years on and we still have this pending case. It's worth maybe reminding folks and we had to remind ourselves of some of the underlying facts of the case, right? So you'll recall that Michael Flynn used to be in the military and left under Barack Obama and then became a very outspoken spokesperson and campaigner for Donald Trump, uh, went to some rallies, notably, I think, presided over a chant of lock her up in reference to the Democratic nominee, Hillary Clinton. We do not need a reckless president who believes she is above the law. Lock her up. That's right. Yes, that's right. Lock her up. I think there are reports that various people, including Chris Christie, suggested that he not be appointed to a high position in the Trump administration. And yet he was. And what the charges surround, just to remind folks, are essentially three sets of lies that he told to an FBI agent on January 24th, 2017. To give some context to this, during the transition period when Barack Obama was still the president of the United States, there was an active investigation of various issues relating to Russia. And with respect to the Russian interference in the election, the Obama administration, uh, at some point in December of 2016, imposed significant sanctions on Russia. Now, in almost every circumstance when the United States imposes sanctions on a country like Russia, there is almost immediate retaliation that's happened before. That's the reason why I'm banned from going to Russia. It was a retaliation for sanctions that we put on various Russians. The Russians did the same to various Americans, including me and some other people from the SDNY and the judge in a particular case. It turns out that Michael Flynn, among other things, had a direct conversation with the Russian ambassador to the U.S., Sergei Kislyak, in which he told Kislyak not to retaliate against the United States and said some other things. He also told Russia, apparently, during that time period, to vote against a particular UN resolution relating to Israel. So that's the backdrop. Then fast forward to January 24th of 2017. And just to just to interrupt for a second, so folks can remember that the American intelligence agencies were up on the phones of the Russian ambassador, who was believed to have also been an intelligence asset for the Russian government, Sergei Kislyak. And so they had access to that phone, those phone calls. Every time that Michael Flynn called, those calls were being overheard by American intelligence officers. And this will come into play later. There's also evidence that was coming into the possession of the intelligence authorities and law enforcement authorities that Michael Flynn was doing substantial work at the behest of the government of Turkey, including writing an op-ed about various things, something that the files refer to as the Turkey Project. And so you have this interesting scenario with someone who's about to become the national security advisor to the president of the United States, kind of behind people's backs and in a way that's undermining to the still-in-place administration having private conversations with the Russian ambassador about what should or should not happen, kind of conducting his own foreign policy. There's also an old American law, which you and I talked about when when this was all unfolding and Flynn was being charged and pleading guilty. There's something called the Logan Act, which prohibits um, anyone from acting on behalf of the U.S. government. That's not the U.S. government. And so at this point in time, in December of 2016, Barack Obama was president. 
President Trump had not been sworn in yet to office. That was later in January. And so there was some question, and that has not been charged for decades, I think over 50 years. It's not a frequently used statute, but just so people understand on its face, this is specifically prohibited by law. You can't be the incoming administration and undercut the current administration. You can't have two governments at once, and it's not it's not the way we operate. And so it's a significant government issue that Flynn was making those calls and basically sort of backdealing with the Russians. So then fast forward to January 24th, and we'll get into what some of the discussions were that are reflected in these notes about whether or not Michael Flynn should be approached, whether or not he should be warned that lying is a crime, whether or not he should have been allowed to have a lawyer, and all of that, because that's part of what the current controversy is about. But just to put this in, in some perspective, you have you have an FBI agent, and what makes it more complicated is the FBI agent is someone named Peter Strzok, who, as we all know later, was engaging in inappropriate and unfortunate text messages about his feelings about Donald Trump with an FBI lawyer named Lisa Page, who is one of the people, which also complicates this, at least optically, who is one of the lawyers who is providing guidance on what the warning should be to Michael Flynn and what the nature of the interview should be, et cetera, et cetera. So it's kind of a complicated little web, but the basics are that Michael Flynn, even though he's a sophisticated person, even though he had served in the, in the Defense Intelligence Agency, even though he has a lot of experience in, in intelligence collection and law enforcement, presumably, and even though he had to have assumed, as you pointed out, Anne, that his conversations with Kislyak might have been intercepted and might be known to intelligence community officials and FBI officials when given the opportunity to speak about whether or not he had said these things to Kislyak, chose to lie about it and chose to lie about whether or not he told Russians to vote against a UN resolution. And we're going to come back to this again and again, but I think it's important to say at the outset, because it, it think is ultimately dispositive of all this controversy. He basically had three choices when he's interviewed by the FBI agent. And we can have a discussion about whether or not it was heavy-handed or whether or not he was admonished properly and all sorts of other things. But the bottom line is, you have a sophisticated person who understands how life works, who's asked direct and specific concrete questions about his conversations with Russians. He had three choices, tell the truth, lie or shut up. And he chose to lie. And by the way, nothing in all this documentation, controversy, and motion practice that I've seen, and maybe I've missed it, does he in any way make the case that his statements to the FBI agent were in fact true. It's all this other sort of argument about fair treatment and being set up, and there not being a proper case to begin with, which may or may not be arguable, but he does not dispute that his stuff was not true. Right. And also just remember that he publicly apologized as well. And he also stood in court and basically said in front of a judge, yes, I lied when he pled guilty. And so it's really important to understand he's not walking back that he lied to the FBI. He raised his right hand, swore under oath that he had lied. And he then also went out and publicly apologized and said, you know, it was wrong and I'm sorry and I'm working to make amends. And so all of that is the backdrop of he's never denied the actual crime. He's arguing that he was tricked by the FBI, that he was entrapped, that the conduct toward him basically compelled him to tell that lie. A couple other facts to remember. He was eventually fired by Donald Trump. And what was the basis for his being fired? Not only did he lie to the FBI, he lied to the vice president, Michael Pence, about Who his then went on the Sunday talk shows. Right. And, and this and is an important thing to remember. misrepresentations based on yes. what he was told by Michael Flynn. I, I was uh, disappointed to learn that uh, this, the... Um, the facts that had been conveyed to me by General Flynn uh, were inaccurate. 
So the Trump administration itself understood that he lied and fired him because of those lies. Yes. And, you know, at this point, the Washington Post was writing news articles about it. Flynn spoke to Pence, assured Pence that it hadn't happened, that he hadn't had these conversations. And then Pence went out based on Flynn's representations and told the American public this never happened. And so it's really important to remember that that that's how this all went down. So a lot's happened since that January 24th interview and his firing by the president of the United States. He was charged, as we mentioned, with multiple counts of making false statements. He pled guilty in open court, which means that he voluntarily admitted the facts. He put out a statement of apology, essentially admitting the facts. He had certain lawyers, sophisticated lawyers at Covington and Burling, representing him. There was a sentencing schedule. I think more than once there's been a sentencing scheduled. And at one point, the government was saying that probation would be appropriate because of his long service and because of his cooperation with the government. Then at some point later, oddly, when the sentencing was adjourned and then rescheduled, the government took the position that some prison sentence of up to six months would be appropriate. And then more recently, after Bill Barr maybe got involved, the government changed its sentencing recommendation again back to probation. So you have these twists and turns. He's changed lawyers. He's got a new lawyer who's arguing that the first lawyers didn't do a good job and they have a conflict of interest. And so there's been a lot of fighting as opposed to how Michael Flynn dealt with the case in the beginning with some contrition and an apology and a guilty plea. And so now there have been some documents that have been disclosed, and we can maybe describe how that happened, that Flynn's new lawyers argue show he was entrapped, he was set up, there was exculpatory material not provided, that they want to use to show that he's innocent, that the government acted outrageously, and that he should be able to withdraw his guilty plea and, in fact, have his case dismissed. So how do we how do we get to this point? What has happened here is beyond unusual, in my view. And so just put this all against the backdrop of the president of the United States, Donald Trump, has been arguing for executive privilege for the past three years, right? Every time someone wants a piece of information from he or his administration, he will argue it's executive privilege, basically saying, I'm the chief executive. I need to be able to have conversations behind closed doors that are private. And I have to be able to debate things, yes or no, and nobody should get access to that. Now, flip to What Bill Barr has basically done is he has released, and we'll talk about the mechanics of this, but he has released the contents of notes and emails of internal FBI conversations about how to approach the Flynn investigation. And this is incredibly unusual. In my experience, I I was trying to think of another time that I'd seen something like this happen. It just doesn't happen. And, And again, I really want to stress that this is like intentional framing, I think, by the president and by Barr to basically be able to set Flynn up to be pardoned by the president or for the case to be dismissed by Bill Barr, Bill Barr to say, we're not going to go forward. So what Bill Barr does is he does this thing, and you mentioned the Connecticut U.S. attorney recently, John Durham, was appointed to look at the Russia investigation and Carter Page's, um, the initial FISA warrant of Carter Page. What Barr did is something similar here on Flynn's case. He asked a sitting U.S. attorney to look into the Flynn matter. And as a result of that, that sitting U.S. attorney basically pulled these internal FBI documents. They are not documents that would normally be disclosed, in my experience, because, again, they go to process and deliberation. They don't go, they're not records of a witness statement. They don't fall under the criminal procedure rules of what has to be disclosed during the prosecution of a case. So they really are about giving an internal law enforcement agency the ability to have this argument, this conversation of, you know, should we give Flynn, should we tell him 
that if he lies, it's a crime? Do we need to legally tell him? And what's important, and we'll get to the substance of those arguments in a minute, but what is really, really important for people to understand is that Barr appoints the U.S. attorney. The U.S. attorney then gets access to these documents, and he gives them to the defense lawyer, Sidney Powell, so that Powell can now walk in and say, my client was entrapped. This was a setup by the government. I don't think there's anything about that argument that's true. And as you said, up front, Flynn had three choices and he chose to lie. And we can, again, break that down. But I think it's really important for people to understand the framing that we are here because Bill Barr has released internal documents that, in my experience, are not released in law enforcement investigations. And he's done it, in my view, intentionally to undercut the Flynn prosecution. And again, just to go back to executive privilege, like the exact argument the president's making that he needs, and you and I have argued there are exceptions to executive privilege. Of course, there are exceptions to, you know, when internal documents should be turned over. I just want to point out the hypocrisy that the same administration that has basically said no one gets to see anything from us is the same administration that is pushing out documents that are never, ever disclosed in cases and that go directly to the heart of the exact kind of debate that the FBI should be having when they're approaching an interview. They're trying to figure out how should we do it? What's the best way to do it? What's the fairest way? What's legal? What's not? So some of the things that are released include a batch of documents, some type, some handwritten. Uh, There's a back and forth, I think, that you referred to between Lisa Page and agents of the FBI about the rule requiring warning the witness, in this case, Michael Flynn, that lying to an FBI agent is a crime. By the way, everyone in America now probably (laughs) knows that from the cases that have flowed from the Russia investigation. There's a statute, Title 18, United States Code 1001, that everybody now, I think, is familiar with. So there's a back and forth about whether or not you're supposed to warn somebody about lying to the FBI in a material way. And then there's this note that's gotten a lot of attention. It's unclear whose handwriting it is. People, I think, reasonably speculate that it's Bill Priestap, who was the, the head of counterintelligence at the FBI at the time, who writes, what's our goal? Referring to the approach and interview of the witness. Truth slash admission or to get him to lie so we can prosecute him or get him fired. And those notes, that notation standing alone, has caused a lot of people to claim this is a setup, this is inappropriate. I saw Kaylee McEnany from the podium in the briefing room at the White House basically say, There is an unfair target on the back of General Michael Flynn. Um, It should concern every American any time there's a partisan pursuit of an individual. And that's certainly, at least those questions are raised with regard to General Michael Flynn, an honorable man who served his country. Is this a crazy thing to be thinking about, Anne, prior to the interview of a witness who you believe is engaged in misconduct? One of the things I think that is worth us spending a little time on is that we've both been in these rooms where you have very serious conversations about where is the investigation going, how do you approach a witness, and what's the best way to do it. And it's worth reminding ourselves and everyone up front that there are a few, like, rules of prosecution and investigation, including, you know, ideally— it's better to talk to somebody when they don't have a lawyer present, right? And this happens all the time with police officers and lawyers. And if someone's actually in custody, that means that they're not free to leave. Then you have to give them Miranda warnings, which is you have the right to remain silent. But if they are not in custody, you don't. Here, Flynn was not in custody. And just to remind everyone, Andy McCabe, who was then the acting director of the FBI, on January 24th of 2017, McCabe calls Flynn and basically says, hey, we want to ask you some questions. 
we're going to have some agents follow up and come over. Flynn says, yeah, okay, right? I think there's a conversation pause, pause about whether- pause on that for a moment? Because yes. I think, look, that's yeah. a- So, you know, he wasn't given questions in advance, but he also wasn't surprised at his office in the moment. He was called by basically the second highest person at the FBI, told that agents were going to come over and interview him. So he had to have some under- given that he knew what he had said to kiss